we get to do something a little bit different this morning, which is to hear from uh, a few of you. So we are, uh, we are spending this Easter season, the, the season uh, between Easter Sunday and Pentecost Sunday, which will come in June, uh, thinking about what does it mean? What are some of the, the, the things to pay attention to about living in God's new creation, the new creation that Jesus inaugurated at his resurrection, the new creation that has broken into our world and which will one day come in finality at Christ's return. What does it look like to live with resurrection hope? And so on on Resurrection Sunday, we talked about that hope and why that hope is trustworthy. And last Sunday, we, we talked about the way the new creation changes how we care for and steward God's creation all around us in its many different forms. And we're going to talk about uh, next Sunday how new creation changes how we think about our very bodies. Uh, but today, we're going uh, to talk about a, a slightly different angle here when it comes to God's new creation. And so before I invite these friends up, I, I want to read uh, a couple of passages of Scripture for us. Uh, If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. In this passage, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, has been arrested, and things are not going according to his plan, what he thought life would be like after the Messiah came. And so in verse 2, when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Now, what Jesus is doing here is actually drawing from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, from the prophet Isaiah. So I want to read to you a section that Jesus was referencing here. Isaiah chapter 29, verses 18 through 21. The prophet, looking ahead, says, On that day the deaf shall hear the words of a scroll, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the neediest people shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. For the tyrant shall be no more, and the scoffer shall cease to be. All those who alert to do evil shall be cut off. Those who cause a person to lose a lawsuit, who set a trap for the arbiter in the gate, and without grounds deny justice to the one in the right." So Jesus pulls from this, uh, from this Old Testament scripture about what God's people are looking for as evidence that God is on the move, that God is, is rescuing his people and making things new and right. And Jesus takes that language and he applies it to himself in answering John's question. John says, Jesus, you don't, <laughs> you don't look like what I was expecting. And Jesus Again, pulling from that memory from Isaiah points to these different evidences of his ministry that would remind John of what God's promises were for his people. I think that's important for us because 
we can very easily get overwhelmed with the sense that in the language of Isaiah, the tyrants are winning, <laughs> that, that evil is winning the day. It's not hard to get overwhelmed and overcome by, by all that is wrong in our world. Some of that stuff is, is big. It's everywhere. It's on the news, crashing one story after the next. Others of, it, of those experiences are much more personal, much more tender, things that very few people besides yourself know that you're carrying. And, and, and so Jesus, I think, responds to John in a way that's important for us today. John's looking around going, look, Rome is still in charge. We're still occupied. The temple hasn't been cleansed. Jesus, are, we, are you who we thought you were supposed to be? And that's a question that if we're honest, we might want to ask in these days and in our own circumstances. Jesus, this isn't what I thought it was going to look like. This isn't what I thought it was going to feel like. And I think one of the things that Jesus invites John to do is to look again, to look with fresh eyes, to look in those places and those areas that he had overlooked. John was looking to Rome John was looking to those places of power for evidence that God was, was acting in the way he thought God was supposed to act. Jesus redirects John's attention away from symbols of power to actual people's lives, people being healed, people being restored, uh, inequity being addressed in ways that were personal and tangible. That's what I hope we will get to experience this morning a little bit. Uh, we are a part of a denomination called the Evangelical Covenant Church. And for decades, this denomination has had a discipleship experience called the Sankofa Journey, where people get on a bus for a long weekend and, and, and make a pilgrimage, basically, to different sites of, of real significance in the American South uh, that were important during the, the struggle for civil rights generations ago. We know that struggle is not over. We know that, 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 that uh, there are new battles when it comes to that, that struggle for, for civil rights for all people in our country. But what's so significant and important, one of the things that's so significant and important about this trip is that we get to look again. We get to look with fresh eyes. We get to see what God has been doing for generations. We get to hear the testimonies and the stories and learn from the legacies of women and men, many of them who are Christian who chose to put their very bodies on the line for the mission of God, for the shalom of, of, of all people in this world. So I want to invite um, the folks who are going to join me to go ahead and come on up. These are folks who were on the last Sankofa journey. Can you welcome them as they come, please? Come on up. You all feel free to, if you're more comfortable with your mask on, you're welcome to leave it on. It's totally appropriate to take it off as well up here. Um, Derek, can you grab that mic off of the mic stand right there, please? Now, I got I to gotta tell you all something. I sent an email to this group earlier this week saying, hey, this is going to replace the sermon. You're not going to just do a quick little story time. Uh, we're going to have a few extra minutes. Um, now, none of them told me how they feel about that, but I heard that they told each other how they felt about that. So we'll see how that comes out during our, our time together. Um, let's just do quick introductions. Is that mic on, Derek? 
Okay, so if you can just, uh, panelists, if you can just tell us uh, your name and maybe uh, how long you've been at New Community, and then we'll go from there. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Derek Dunn, and I've been here three years. Hi, good morning. My name is Stella, and I've been here for about nine years. My name is Aracel. I've been here three years. You guys better say the same <laughs> My name is Amy. I'm going to guess five. Morning. My name is Juan. I've been here for ten years. So one of the things that I wanted these folks to do for us this morning is to help you imagine some of what they experienced. And so starting with, with one and then maybe uh, Amy and, and, and RSL, um, share with us a highlight from Sankofa. And again, most of us have not been on it. So uh, if you can be a little descriptive in, in sharing what this, this highlight actually was like. Sure. So I, I should first say it was my idea that we all wear Equal Justice Initiative clothing, and then I forgot this morning. So I apologize to my panelists. We were supposed to stand in solidarity, and I failed on the first, the first step. So if I look different, that's why. I apologize. They didn't not include me. It was my fault. Okay. Uh, as far as the highlights... Um, so on this trip, we, we go to a number of different places uh, in the South. I'd never been to the South before, frankly, mostly on purpose. And um, so mo most of these places were, were new for me. Uh, I'll just say, the, the, I would say probably the thing that I still think about to this day was the Legacy Museum that was in Birmingham. Uh, it's a museum that was curated by the Equal Justice Initiative. And it's relatively new, right? Probably like five, six years old, something like that. And it's really, really well done. Um, so I don't want to spoil too much, but there is a particular exhibit that catches you near the beginning. And it's really immersive. It's, it's, it's incredibly affecting. Um, so, I mean, that I don't want to say too much, right? Because it kind of ruins it. But it's this beautiful art display that's really tragic. And it's, it's, just, it's just an amazingly fitting way to start your entry into this museum where they're walking you through history. Um, the other thing, really quickly, I'll say is there's another part that we're in Memphis um, during this trip toward the tail end, taking on this wonderful guided tour, which I'm sure you'll hear more about. But there's a, a slave haven museum that's in a house that it was the Burkle estate uh, that was owned by this family that was uh, basically a slave haven. It was almost one of their last uh, points before uh, runaway enslaved people would be able to get to the Mississippi River and escape up north. And just to be able to walk in this house that's been pretty well preserved and just sort of hearing the floorboards creaking and sort of imagining yourself in this place where people were housed, but of course they were terrified, so many of them. And so that was a real real highlight for me just to be able to stand in that place, to, to be in the physical space that, that held so much and was a really important and you know, significant place. So I'll stop. Um, I, th I think the highlight for me, or one of the highlights, was the people. And I would say um, the group having five of us go, and Kamisha, who was a, our sixth uh, adopted member, <laughs> um, to have the conversations with folks you already knew uh, was 
just really powerful for me. It wasn't, I didn't have to spend time getting to know somebody to know if I could trust them. That was already there, and so the conversations went uh, deeper. Uh, the other people were the elders that we uh, heard from. There were two the first night who had been there. <laughs> they were like 80, they're in their 80s, and they're still doing the work. They're still um, coming and testifying to what they did. And then the, the tour, tour guide that one mentioned, you know, was uh, shutting down lunch counters when she was like 16 years old. Um, so to hear from them and then to know that they'd lived their lives uh, in congruence with that same um, vision was just super powerful for me. I have to start by saying that my heart is literally almost beating out of my chest. This is so uncomfortable for me. Um, it's funny because when Pastor sent the questions, Derek and I kind of looked at each other and we were like, highlight? Like, I don't know if that's the correct word. Um, so what I'm going to share with you is what has stayed with me since I got back from San It happened in San and it has stayed with me since. But So my parents, they grew up extremely inferior to white people. And as such, I grew up extremely inferior to white people. I mean, I avoided them at all costs. But the image that I cowered to the most was white Jesus. Because if these white people hated me so much because of the way that I looked, I can only imagine how much Jesus hated me or disliked me or was disgusted with me. So one of our visits was to the 16th Street Baptist Church. And because Derek's going to share on the... uh, the little girls who lost their lives at that church, I'm going to shift and stay on my, on my path. I was floored when I walked into this church and saw white Jesus in the stained glass window. And the reason I was floored is because this was the meeting place. This was the place where all of these beautiful black people gathered to fight for their civil rights. And they're meeting in this place where they have this white Jesus just like looming over them. I couldn't even hear what the guy who was kind of giving us the tour, what he was even saying. I couldn't even tell you what he shared that day, only because I was so re-triggered when I saw that white Jesus because just like Pastor Michelle prayed about this God, right, that stands over you, judging you, that's the God I grew up with, right, because how could he love me? But I know we're supposed to be selling you on Sankofa, so... (laughs) (laughs) I just want you to say that it's moments like that that made Sankofa so special because you had this safe space to explore those feelings and share those feelings with the entire group, white, black, or otherwise. Um, So that was was the experience that has stayed with me. I, I know the Jesus that loves me now, but it's just saddens me that this church that still has a predominantly black congregation still has this white Jesus for them to see every time they're in their worshiping. Thank you, Arcel. Stella, if you can pass the mic to to Derek, we're going to start with another question here. Um, And so we'll start Derek and then we'll go to you, Stella, on this. Uh, History, 
one of the things I'm always amazed on Sankofa, I've been on it more times than I can remember, I always learn something new. I'm all, there's always some historical incident that was not a part of my childhood education. And so I, if the two of you could share something uh, um, that you relearned, that you learned, or that stood out in a kind of fresh way from, uh, from our shared history. Uh, one thing I learned, and I kind of knew about this initially, but it was really made clear when I went on Sankofa, and that is that I think historically we're all familiar with the, uh, with the march from uh, across the Edmund Pettus Bridge uh, in Selma, from Selma to Montgomery initially. And of course, the first march, uh, the, the marches were met with violence. And that march was televised all over the country. And so I think for the first time, people really got a view of what was really happening and what was really happening to the marchers. But what I think is interesting is that, and it took a while, but the state of Alabama was so shamed by what people were seeing all over the country that, uh, you know, there was a second march a couple of days after that that was sanctioned by the uh, state of Alabama in which the marchers had a chance to walk across with police protection. The same bridge that when they walked across a couple of days ago, people's heads were split open and dogs were unleashed on kids. And uh, a couple of days after that, after the, uh, the Montgomery March is when uh, the Voting Rights Act was passed. But it really took national shaming of the state of Alabama for them to have a second march where the people were actually protected in a way they should have been protected in the first march so that they complete the march. And, and that really stuck with me. Um, a couple things, kind of basic, but we started in Atlanta, which isn't normal. Um, and I was wondering why Atlanta. Um, but the fact that Dr. MLK was born and raised and also buried in Atlanta, that was something I'd forgotten about if I learned it before. The second thing had to do with the bridge also. Um, I've seen it and I didn't even know who Edmund Pettus, Edmund Pettus was. Um, but after we crossed the bridge, we talked about who he was. And it was shocking that it's still called that bridge and why it's still called that bridge. I don't know why I assumed it was named after a civil rights leader or something like that because it's still the name and it's very um, well known what happened on that bridge and why. Um, but yeah, those were the two things that I learned. Thank you. Yeah, why don't we pass the mic to RSL? We'll go down this way. Um, if you don't know, uh, Edmund Pettus was a, a, a leader in the Ku Klux Klan and used his, his uh, very kind of racist networks to get himself elected to the United States Senate in order to obstruct some of the Reconstructionist bills that were being uh, passed during this time. And that's the name that's still on, on that bridge. Um, what did you learn about yourself? And, and ourselves, you're not ready to answer that yet. You can hand it down. This to, to, you can have one start if you want. Uh, that's, that's appropriate. Um, you all knew these questions ahead of time, so. Um, but I, I, that, that's, I realize that is a kind of tender question, but what, what, what is something that you learned about yourself during that, that long weekend? Yeah, so, um, so going into the trip, 
uh, something I was kind of praying for myself, and I was, I was Derek was my partner. Um, something I was praying for myself was was wanting to. Uh, this is going to sound a little strange, but get in better touch with my anger. Um, and I say that because for me, normally I, I don't generally a super angry person, and, and if something is going to upset me, I, I'm pretty good at escaping from that feeling or from distracting myself. And for, for whatever reason, I felt it was important, particularly, particularly going into this trip, that I sit with that anger um, and that I learn how to feel it and to see what God has for me in it. Um, and so kind of that was always, always sort of in the back of my mind. And even Derek, I would I would share this with you on the bus as we were having conversations of like how do I how do I stay with this? How do I as we see these really upsetting things? How do I not um, sort of almost like create like a place to escape in my own head, right? Um, or like look at my phone or whatever to 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 avoid the feeling of it or to avoid the my own complicity in it and these kinds of things. Um, and so I would say that, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I've solved this problem for myself, but, but on this trip, I, I feel like God was very faithful in, in giving me moments to, to be able to stay in that, that anger, to, to feel it more deeply, to um, actually be able to call it anger, right? A lot of times I'll speak, oh, I'm frustrated or, or I'm upset. But, but really, it was, it was anger that was welling up at the injustice, at, at what was visited upon real people for no reason, is just hate, um, and to be able to to say that, and then to recognize it in myself, the tendencies that I would have toward that, um, and what would what triggered what would trigger that for me was really important. Um, and so I would say too, kind of after the trip, I, I think I've kept some of that with me. So like, if I'm reading something upsetting in the news, instead of just deleting the email and clicking to the next thing, or you know, swiping to the next story, I'll I'll, I'll stop and and sort of let that sink in a little bit longer, right? And, and, and pray instead of just looking for, you know, what's the wordle today or something like that. Um, so, yeah, so, so that's been, I think, an important thing for me. It was something I feel like God really honored that prayer going in and something I'm trying to hold on to even still. Um, so, yeah. So I would say mine is pretty similar. I, um, I would have... You know, <laughs> I remember having a conversation with my nephew, and he was just blown away by the nonviolence of Dr. King, right? And it was a really good conversation, and uh, yes, yes, yes. And then we get in these situations, and uh, yeah, I was not, that was not my reaction. I mean, I'm like, I couldn't have done that. I would have done something awful in retaliation. I could not have been nonviolent. I, I, am not as loving as I'd like to think I am. Um, you know, there aren't, I live alone, so there aren't a lot of, like, time, opportunities to run up against people that are, you know, not doing things my way. or what, You know what I'm saying? And so I realized, I learned that, um, yeah, I just was a whole other level of anger in me. And actually, when I was thinking about these questions, it was... The last couple months, I was thinking, I agree with one, it has stayed with me, right? I, I haven't, I didn't figure it out until I was thinking about these questions, but I've been another level of angry um, this last month and a half, and I feel like that's the root of it. And I don't want to go, 
to judgment and um, condemnation of people who disagree with me. Um, but I do want to sit in that anger that's very real and, yeah, just very real. Why did I sit in the middle? Um, so for me, it was what I learned about myself was that um, it was it's okay for me to have a voice and and it's okay for me to share and it's okay for me to take up some space. Yeah. Um, so that's what Sankofa did for me because a lot of these thoughts or these feelings that I've had. Those have always been buried. It's like, no, don't make any waves. Don't say anything. Don't make any trouble. Keep everything peaceful. Keep everything always really happy. Um, I'm sure Pastor was shocked at how much I shared at Sankova, but I was like, you know what? This is the space to do it. This is where I get to say, um, this is what has bothered me. This is what has frustrated me. This is what has hurt me. This is what I've carried for all of these years. Um, And that's what Sankova allows. And Amy was my partner. Um, and it was really good sharing this experience with Amy because even though we're like, we're like this, there was still stuff we had to learn about each other. There were still stories that Amy had to learn for the first time. And anyone who knows Amy knows that Amy doesn't cry a lot, but she sure did share, shed some tears on Sankofa. But that's what I learned about myself is that it's okay for me to have a voice and it's okay for me to have a different opinion than, than other people. Um, and it's okay if sometimes what I'm saying is hard for people to receive. Um, my job is not to now coddle them through it, but just to like, kind of let them sit with, the, sit with it and let God do what he has to do next. Yes. Um, I think for me, I'm definitely more of a thinker than a feeler. And a lot on this trip, Um, the homework that they would give us is, how do you feel? (laughs) Um, So every night, I, like, can't go to bed until I've thought of my feelings. Um, And I literally, me and my friend Kamisha, who um, went on this trip with me, she is a friend from work, um, we would Google feelings, and (laughs) we'd look up a list read through them and be like, Kamisha, is this, is this right? Like, is this appropriate to feel this way? <laughs> um, so I think for myself, it's just knowing that knowing is not enough. Um, I think I've been going to this church for a while, and anytime D- Pastor David or Mich- Pastor Michelle talks about a book, you know, I put it on my list, I, I read, and um, I feel like a lot of the things from this trip I've known, but I haven't felt. And... Um, we talked a lot also about solidarity and community and what that means and realizing that if you don't, it's like, if you don't really, if you don't feel it and if you're not in it with them, you can't really be in solidarity with them. Um, and it's not enough just to know. And um, yeah, just learning new feelings and words and how to express that and talk about that um, and not not enjoy it so much. Um, but yeah. Uh, I think the one thing I learned is, is just how, how much work I have to do to, to process just being a person of color uh, in America every day. I mean, you think about the information that we got on this trip. A lot of it is part of school curriculums now, at least for now. Um, 
we have a, we've got our own month now. Uh, we seem to have a larger presence of black people, people of color, in, in all uh, avenues of life. But when I went on this trip and was reintroduced to all these things that I had read in textbooks and seen, it was all very re-triggering because it not only reminded me of, of just the struggles that we had then, it kind of forced you to kind of fast forward to where we are now. And with this wealth of history and with things like Sankofa, there are a lot of basic facts that have not changed about being black in America. And um, you really have to reprocess that because all of the, the curriculum and the, the history we have, and uh, it makes it easy in some ways for black people to kind of compartmentalize it. You know, it's part of our defense mechanism to not have to process this every day on some level. But the, the trip caused me to redo that and to really wrestle with those things. And there are things I'm still wrestling with now. Uh, we'll, we'll do kind of one last, we'll start with Derek and go back. And, and you all choose between either of these questions. Um, how did you experience God during this trip? And that is not meant to be a, you know, everything is great, God is good question, right? Because there's a, many different ways we can experience God. So how did you experience God during this trip? Or how did your experience on Sankofa impact how you follow Jesus, your discipleship? There's a lot of similarities between those two, so they're one or, or both, but how did you experience God? How did this experience impact your discipleship to Jesus? Um, one way, um, uh, change my, what's the question again, the first question? How did you experience God? Oh. Uh, one of the main ways I experienced God was through uh, my fellowship with Juan. Uh, he was the ideal partner. Uh, not only is he witty and funny and sarcastic, all those things I love, but he started from a place so that we could discuss race without having to first debate things like whether all lives matter or foolishness like that. And so it just really helped me to, to talk freely, to bond with him, to understand uh, a lot of his struggles, which were simultaneously like mine as a person of color, but different because of his background. And uh, that really just helped me to just to trust God more in the process. Uh, mine is also similar. I asked a friend from work to go on this trip actually a few years ago. Um, we weren't that close, but I just took this step and asked her if she was interested at all. Um, and she said, yeah. And then it took another year before we were planning and then COVID. So like three years later, um, we're going on this trip and um, we have been working together longer, better friends. And it was just the timing of it was really great. And um, it's just really special when you have a relationship with someone you work with that you respect on that level. Uh, we're both working in a high school, um, but we also have like a common foundation for our faith. And then it's like this extra layer of like race and um, yeah, all of that was just something we had in common and the space we had to experience it all together was just really, it doesn't happen often. It was really unique. Um, and it's just like brought us closer and we kind of have this mile marker kind of in our friendship of like this experience together and 
she, yeah, she shared at our staff meeting a couple weeks ago and was just um, talking about just having like a life-changing experience for her herself. And it was just, I don't know, I think that was like the biggest way I saw God working. Uh, okay, so this is, this might not sound like a correct answer, but so <laughs> the way I heard God is God was showing me or te telling me that I, I still need to work with people, right? And I need to work with people where they're at. Um, because not everyone, not everyone is going to be where I need them to be. And so I have to give you a story, a quick story. But we were on the bus, and it was just Amy and I. And there was um, the one other girl that was sitting across from me, a, a black girl. And then there was a white lady, maybe three rows behind me. And I can't remember her names, but the black the black girl was telling me that she's been trying to learn Spanish. And so I consider myself Afro-Latina. I am Puerto Rican. Um, but if you saw my father, you would think he was black. And so the lady asked me, how do you roll your R's? Right? She said, I've been trying to learn Spanish for three years now, and I still can't roll my R's. And before I could even open my mouth to say a word, the white lady, three rows behind me, jumped up. And there was only four of us on the bus, right? There was no one else because everyone was still sightseeing or doing whatever they were doing. And she got up and she said, oh, this is how you do it. And this is how you roll your R's. And it took me a long time to learn it. And, and this is how you have to do it. So I just sat there and I let her be the expert on speaking Spanish and rolling R's, even though there's a Puerto Rican on the bus. And so then afterwards, I saw the, the black chick in the bathroom. And she said, uh, she said, I asked you a question about rolling R's. And this white woman gets up and just starts telling me how to try and roll my R's. And, and we both kind of just gave each other the look, you know, the, the they know everything look. And, uh, and that's when I had to like really pause and tell myself, okay, if I'm going to get myself to a better place, then I have to love everyone, regardless of where they're at. Because the whole point was that she was on Sankova so that she could learn. And she obviously still had a lot of learning to do. Um, but that's where God spoke to me. It's like, okay, don't put everyone in the same category. Treat everyone individually just like I want to be treated individually. Yeah, that, that was the story I was going to tell. <laughs> no. Because I thought later, like in, instead of just commiserating with uh, Arisel and I forget her name, uh, I, I needed to go to her and say, hey, did you realize that you interrupted that conversation? I feel like I was the one to do that, actually. I didn't do it because it took me a while for that to... But I felt like... Um, so, yeah, that I need to be... Uh, yeah, that I need to take that role, that I need to speak into the lives of, of the white people around me and reflect back to them what they're doing the harm they're doing or whatever i guess it's not all yeah no it's harm um to my black and brown brothers and sisters so um and then just one other quick thing the legacy museum the the memorial uh the lynching memorial i don't know the name of it but um i god i feel like god told me as a as we started up the hill toward it reminded me that i was born in alabama and so i was like I asked Siri, like, what county was I born in? You know, I, and she told me, and I'm like, I found that uh, column. 
And so I just felt like it was a Holy Spirit thing, like connect more to this. Like, uh, yeah, know that this is happening. And you've got to go, you have to go to this memorial. You have to go. You start out level with all the monuments and you slowly go down and they stay the same level and then you're looking up at the names of people who have been lynched. And then there's a bunch of um, reasons, stupid reasons, why people were lynched. One after the other as you go farther down. You just, you, uh, you have to go. And I was grateful that the Holy Spirit like personalized it for me that that morning. Yeah, I'll just, I, I think I'm last and the kids are getting antsy, but um, I think to that point of what Amy's saying, that there is, you have to go. Uh, and I'll sp- I'm speaking personally, but also I would say this is true, of, I mean, it seems like it's true for all of us here, probably anyone who's gone on this trip before, uh, to, to walk the steps, to touch the pews, to touch the bridge, to, to, um, to breathe the same air. It's so important to see the names, right? Um, and to not be able to escape that, I know for me that that was really, really important. Um, and to be able to do that all with Derek, who I'm not just saying this cause he said nice things about me. He was, he was, he was great. We knew each other a little bit before. Um, and I, I knew when, when pastor David's asked me to go on Sankofa many times, and I've always said no because of kids, but this time it felt right. And I'm glad I waited because I got to go with Derek. And we got to process and do the heavy stuff. We laughed together. We, it was, the lightness made the heavy stuff deeper, right? And, and so I would encourage you to, to go on the trip, but also to find a really good partner to go with. It's so, I mean, I, I think for all of us, that was super important. And it, and it makes it a much more significant experience. Um, but yeah, to, to the point of just the connectedness, like, I, and, and if it's okay, if, if something else feeling very strongly on this trip, so Stella and I were the only Asian or Asian American folks on this trip. And I don't know if that's like a ratio that's typical, Pastor David. Okay, so he's saying yes. Yeah. So, so there's like 30 some odd people on this, on this bus. And I know some of you uh, have gone before me, so you were certainly ahead, ahead of us on that regard. But especially for, for those of us who, who in this room who are, who are Asian, I would... You know, it's really easy to feel like, well, this isn't this isn't my history. Particularly if you're like me and your your parents came fairly recently, you'll feel like, well, this isn't really my my story. It's not my country. I'm not often treated like it's my country. So it's I feel like at least for me, it's easier to disengage from that that problematic history. But there's something there for us that's really important. And so, uh, again, particularly if you're if you're Asian in this room, I don't even know most of you in this room at this point. I apologize. But all the same, I, I hope you're hearing this from, from a heart of, this is really important for our discipleship, to see how God is still working, I think is really important too, right? The stories we hear, it's not just stuff in the past, it's people who are still faithfully doing the work. And we need to, we need to do that, we need to step into that too. Um, so I'm going to... Stop. Um. I want to uh, pray for these folks uh, right now and just would ask that you extend your hand in, in blessing. Lord Jesus, thank you for the way that you've spoken to us through these testimonies. We thank you for these women and men and their um, not just willingness, but desire uh, to follow you in these ways, to grow deeper in you, 
to grow deeper in, uh, in their place within the, the family of God. We thank you for the, the gifts that you've given them through this experience, for the good seed that's been planted. We thank you for the fruit that is already evident in their lives that has benefited us today. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have separated the testimonies that we've heard uh, today from our discipleship to Jesus. Remind us that your new creation covers everything, uh, that there is evidence of your presence everywhere, that you have not left yourself without a witness anywhere, that there have been women and men who have said yes to you despite tremendous cost to their own lives. Uh, uh, Thank you for reminding us of those faithful saints. Help us to be worthy of their legacy and their sacrifice. Help us to be formed in our imagination and our commitments as your followers by their, uh, by their leadership and their, and their lives. So bless these five women and men right now. Fill them back up with what they poured out. Uh, encourage their hearts today. And uh, I pray that we would even uh, make it a priority to share with them how their testimonies um, nurtured our own faith today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.